0: What has happened is that they have turned towards crimes that really extract more money from the population in Haiti, a population that is in its majority not wealthy.
1: Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Haiti is in the midst of the worst humanitarian and security crisis in years. Gang-related violence is surging, and the Haitian National Police are overwhelmed and incapable of restoring order. According to some estimates, gangs now control about 80% of Port-au-Prince. This rampant insecurity is driving a humanitarian crisis. Hundreds of thousands of people have been forced to flee their homes. About half the country is experiencing food insecurity. Haiti's politics are also extremely challenging. The current Prime Minister, Ariel Henry, assumed office following the assassination of his predecessor, Jovenal Moïse, in 2021. Henry has never been elected and has very little support among the Haitian population. Still amid surging violence and insecurity, Henry appealed to the international community to send help and asked the United Nations Security Council to support some sort of foreign military or police intervention. Secretary General Antonio Guterres has also called for international support to the Haitian National Police. But for a long time, no country was willing to step up and volunteer to lead an intervention in Haiti. That was until Kenya said that it was willing to lead a UN-backed multinational effort in Haiti. But is this even a good idea? Haiti, after all, has a long history of failed international interventions. Joining me to discuss that question and many more is Renata Segura, Deputy Director for Latin America and the Caribbean at the International Crisis Group. We kick off discussing the gang violence and security challenges in Haiti before having a long conversation about the international dynamics driving a potential Kenya-led intervention in Haiti. A couple of quick announcements before we start. First, the newsletter version of this podcast is growing like gangbusters. Visit globaldispatches.org to sign up. And if you are listening to me right now on Apple Podcasts and you are a paying premium subscriber via Apple Podcasts, first, thank you. I do appreciate your support. It is vital to helping us do what we do every week here at Global Dispatches. Second, Apple does not send any of your information to me. So I have no way of knowing who you are. So please send me an email using the contact button on globaldispatches.org and I will give you a complimentary paid subscription to the newsletter. It's also the way to access our entire archive, even of episodes that are now behind a paywall. And if you're not a premium subscriber just yet, you can do so either by tapping a few buttons in Apple Podcasts or going to patreon.com slash global dispatches, or just by upgrading your subscription at globaldispatches.org. Thank you all. Now, here is my conversation with Renata Segura of the International Crisis Group. So, before we discuss potential international intervention in Haiti... Can I have you describe the security and humanitarian situation in the country right now? What is going on that is necessitating this conversation?
0: Well, as you know, the president of Haiti was assassinated two years ago in July. This has sort of triggered an expansion of the criminal gangs that have existed for many, many years, decades in Haiti But who have used this sort of power vacuum that we have seen since the assassination to really gain massive territorial control. So, the gangs in Haiti have historically had connections with either political elites or economic elites in the past, and they've been used as a way of imposing either order or, you know, do arrangements that are beneficial for a private business in the past. In essence, they have been until now private armies for these elites. And obviously, when the assassination of Moïse happened, a lot of the analysts inside and outside of Haiti pointed to this connection. So one of the first things that the international community did, well, in particular, the US and Canada, I should say, was establish sanctions against some of the people that have been sponsoring the gangs, which is great. And it did help very much cut this link that we had seen between the elites and the gangs. Unfortunately, there was an unintended consequence to that process, which is that the gangs have stopped receiving a lot of the money flow that they were accustomed to, and they still have payroll to make. They still have expenses that they have to cover. And so what has happened is that they have turned towards crimes that really extract more money from the population in Haiti, a population that is in its majority not wealthy.
1: And these are crimes, presumably like kidnapping and extortion.
0: Exactly. Kidnapping and extortion, mostly. And so this has made what was already a pretty difficult situation really, really impossible for people in Haiti to just lead their own lives. Schools are being attacked. Hospitals are being attacked people are being kidnapped on the way to church. It has disrupted everyday life to an extent that is really unprecedented in Haiti. And this has, as you said, also contributed to the furthering of the humanitarian crisis, because the gangs control a lot of the roads that connect Port-au-Prince to other parts of the country. There is, for example, difficulty accessing food in some places. People have a difficult time getting medical attention for a while when the gangs were taking over the ports where the gas and fuel come, that meant that there was no electricity in many parts, that there was no portable water. So it is just the overlap between the humanitarian and the security crisis. It's really intense and it's part of the motivation for the international community to really take a much more hands-on approach to the crisis in the country.
1: So, it's in this context that you just described that the Security Council last year asked the Secretary General to put together a report outlining possible ways to support the Haitian government in general, and I think the Haitian National Police in particular. And he presented this report back in October, around the time, if I recall of that blockade you just mentioned by a gang leader of fuel imports from the fuel port to the rest of the country. Exactly. So a really really dire dire time for Haiti is when this report from the Secretary General recommending potential options that the international community could take to support Haiti. Broadly what did Antonio Guterres recommend?
0: So, it's important to know, though, that this report from Guterres came at the request of the Prime Minister of Haiti. So, Prime Minister Henry, who has been in power in an interim condition since the assassination of the president, because of the increase of gang violence, had requested to the Secretary General military help. And so, did was lay out three different possibilities for an intervention. The one that has sort of gained more track since then is what we're calling a multinational force. So that means that it is a force of international security forces, not necessarily military, probably police in some cases, because it's going to go and support the Haitian national police in its fight against the gangs but that comes under the authorization of the Security Council. But it's not, and that's very important to note, a peacekeeping mission. Haiti has a very complicated history with UN peacekeeping. There have been multiple missions in the past, and the latest one that was a formal peacekeeping mission is MINUSTA, which really played a very important role in curtailing violence at the time. But that also brought cholera into the country non-intentionally, obviously, but when the mission, some of the dark black waters went into a river and it was contaminated, this resulted in the deaths of around 10,000 Haitians. The UN was very slow in a fault and it has not done any reparations. So feelings against the UN in Haiti are very, very strong. And I think that has shaped the conversation within the Security Council and the UN at large about what is the appropriate way to provide the support. So the multinational force is something that is seen as more palatable for the Haitians.
1: So your point about this not being, and no one has recommended, a formal Blue Helmet UN peacekeeping force is, I think, worth emphasizing. That's not an option on the table. But the option that is on the table right now is, a as you said, a potential international intervention, potentially military, but not necessarily military, to be led by some country. And I take it ever since the Secretary General Laid out that recommendation, there has been this like big search for a country to take the lead. And no one really has stepped up until recently when Kenya floated the idea that it might want to lead this multinational force. Do you know why Kenya, of all countries in the world, has apparently volunteered itself to lead this potential? mission in Haiti?
0: Actually, not really. And we've been trying to figure out exactly what kind of pressure was put on the Kenyans. I do think that it's very important to note that the peacekeeping mission, it's still in the cards, even though if it's not the preferred one. And it is interesting to note that the Security Council met recently to extend the mandate for BINU, the current SPM present in Haiti.
1: And by BINU, you're referring to the UN Integrated Office in Haiti. The SPM is the Special Political Mission. This is a mission that is approved by the Security Council every year or so, and Recently, as in in July, I believe, the Security Council renewed the mandate of BINU, the UN political mission in Haiti.
0: Exactly. And it was interesting to note that in the renewal, it asks the um, Secretary General for a report that lays down more concrete ways in which this uh, multilateral force may come into Haiti. And it actually mentions there a possible peacekeeping operation. I think that since that has happened in the last few weeks, that option has gone back into the back burner where it has been since the beginning. It's clearly not the preferred option, but it is an option that for a moment there before Kenya actually volunteered, people were considering, okay, well maybe we're gonna have to go this route just because there's nobody else that has stepped in. The U.S., which has been the main force behind the idea of sending troops to Haiti in cooperation with Ecuador, which is the other pen holder for the resolutions in the Security Council, had really hoped that Canada was going to step forward. And there were multiple trips to Ottawa, a lot of conversations between Biden and Trudeau, But Canada just did not want to do this exclusively them leading the mission. And I have to say for very good reason. There is in particular a concern and I think that this is a central part of why it's been so difficult to get somebody to lead the mission. That these troops are going to come, yes, to help security, yes, to make the life of Haitians better. But they are going to end up strengthening the hand of the current prime minister who has not been elected popularly and who is wildly, wildly unpopular in Haiti. And so the hope that many of these member states had was that Henry and the opposition, which is diverse, but has some specific voices that carry a lot of weight within Haiti, would be able to come to an agreement, sit down at the table, and produce a governance agreement that would establish the way in which a transitional government would operate in the coming years and that would welcome this force. The opposition in Haiti has been very, very, very worried that this force that they acknowledge is necessary in terms of security will end up deepening the political crisis that has been in place in Haiti obviously since the assassination of the president, but even before that.
1: Like essentially there is concern, legitimate concern, that any international force would in essence just prop up the government of Ariel Henry, who is deeply unpopular and is unelected. And that is just a very real and and legitimate concern.
0: Yes. I mean, I think early on when the first discussion about the troops was in place. We saw people in Haiti protesting on the streets, really adamant against any kind of intervention. And you know, the refrain has been this needs to be a Haitian-led solution. I think as time has gone by and the security situation has become more and more critical and people's lives have become more and more impossible, the table has turned in Haiti. And right now, Polls show that there's around 70% support for a foreign intervention. Even the head of the police acknowledges that they cannot, in their own, by their own forces, control the gangs. And key people in the opposition have said, we know that we can't deal with this alone. But, and the sort of really big but is, if this is going to end up consolidating Henry in power for who knows how long, because there is no real Viable path to elections at this precise moment, then we don't want this security force. So, the hope that Trudeau and others had before saying yes was that this agreement was going to take place. But unfortunately, up to today, we still haven't seen that happen.
1: And maybe just to underscore your point, you know, we're speaking Wednesday, August 9th, and I, I just saw a report in the news about this large protest in port prince that was both in favor of an international intervention and against the government of Ariel It clashes with government police forces, which presumably this international intervention, if it happens, would be there to support. So it, it is like this odd situation.
0: Exactly. And everybody's greatest fear, naturally, is the arrival of forces that are welcomed, <laughs> to say it ironically, on the street by a protesting mob that calls them invaders that perhaps ends up having a confrontation with the population and that results in civilian deaths, right? That is the worst case scenario for anybody. And that is the reluctance to really send forces to a country that had been actively asking for this not to happen. I mean, I think, as you say right now, the situation is another one, but, It's really unfortunate that the international community has not been able to exert enough pressure on Henry to have him sit at the table and engage in a genuine negotiation of power sharing with the opposition that would foster this agreement that is needed. The opposition has also not been the most flexible, we have to say. It's not just one side's fault. And they are very kind of inflexible with the proposal that they've put on the table and they will not move away from that. But really, it is extremely urgent that this agreement comes before any multinational force arrives.
1: Can you describe broadly what the dynamics are at the Security Council around Haiti in general and around the idea of deploying a potentially Kenyan-led multinational force in particular. You know, I take it from what you said that the Americans have been really like kind of shopping around for a country to take the lead. And so they would be in support of a force like this. But how, generally speaking, are, say, China and, and Russia approaching this?
0: China and Russia are, you know, the biggest question marks the rest of the council members at the moment seem in general supportive i think it was interesting to see that the bnu renewal mandate was approved unanimously so that sends good signs probably on on the decision to send the, the troops and the fact that the secretary general was requested for this report you know putting on paper the details of how the force would be that is due on august 15th so very soon so both of those things indicate that the council is looking favorably to the idea of the mission. Now, China has been interesting. We were all kind of expecting that China would be very opposed to more intervention in Haiti for two reasons. One, that Port-au-Prince has a relationship with Taiwan, which obviously results in complications for China in the council. But second, because China has been for so long, very reluctant to increase spending on peacekeeping, has you know been advocating for closing other missions, etc. So we were surprised when um, last year China came very vocally to the floor to demand a more active action on sanctions and really looking for the UN to have a more active role in Haiti. There seems to be a part of the Chinese strategy that really is enjoying the fact that this very, very big mess is happening very close to the United States and the chances that there is going to be a massive migration to the U.S. So, you know, there seems to be a little bit of not completely orientation poking in that sense. But I think also China understands, too, the level of the problem that exists on the ground. And so it seems that, despite their recent history in the council trying to not spend that much money, and particularly because this would not be a peacekeeping mission, but it would just require the mandate, it seems that they are inclined to allow it. One thing that has been interesting is that China has currently highlighted the question of armed trafficking, a question in which they are completely right, regardless of whatever the intentions are behind the the debate. A lot of the guns that are coming into Haiti are coming through Florida, and many of those are American weapons that are purchased legally within the country. So China has been bringing this issue to the fore for many of the sessions where Haiti has been discussed, and they are encouraging um, the Americans to have to take more strong action on that front. Which, you know, in our page, it sounds like a very good idea. It's something that that we endorse.
1: So it sounds like the Security Council is, you know, lined up in theory to approve a potential multinational intervention in Haiti. Like there are no huge divisions that are paralyzing the Security Council on other areas of its work. There is some alignment here. And as you said, the recent... Renewal of the current special political mandate mission was unanimous. So there's potential there that the Security Council will unanimously agree again to a potential multinational force in Haiti. I want to return to this idea of why Kenya. And, you know, this is kind of like a relatively recent. Announcement. And, you know, I'll just note that it it came not long after Kenya's national security advisor, Monica Juma, who I interviewed at the Aspen Security Forum a few weeks ago, met at that same forum with Jake Sullivan, the U.S. national security advisor. So I have to imagine maybe this was in the works back then, but she didn't tell me about it when I interviewed her. (laughs) Uh, But in any case, you know, probably it's American pressure or cajoling or you know American asking for this to happen that led Kenya to volunteer. But I'm curious to learn from you. I mean, is this even a good idea? There is such like a long history of failed international intervention in Haiti, and the idea that Kenyan forces would be specially equipped to deal with the complexities of the situation seems I don't know a little hard to understand for me,
0: yes, I mean. At Crisis Group, we have we have advocated for a force to be sent, and we, I think, still think that that is the case. We were not expecting Kenya to be the country that would step forward. And if they did lead the mission, we would hope that it will be done in close coordination with other countries that could provide the technical expertise and also do the due diligence in terms of human rights and other kinds of concerns. We know that the Kenyan police has incurred in human rights violations internally. A lot of human rights watchers noted at the moment of the announcement that this was maybe not the best police force to be sent when there was a likelihood of having to confront civilians. And that is a worry. But... If this is the announcement that unlocks this very needed mission, it seems that the wise move will be to get this going, but make sure that the mission is strengthened and bolstered by all those other countries that perhaps were not willing to engage in military components, but that can really advise On ways in which they can deal both with the gangs, which is a very specific kind of fighting and very specific strategy that needs to be used, but also and in particularly with the civilian population. And that is one of the biggest difficulties, you know. We're talking about gangs that live within the communities, that have been holding the communities hostage for a long time, that don't wear uniforms, that it's not easy to identify, Who they are, and in many cases, they are children. So, this is a very, very difficult mission. And if it arrives without the proper technical expertise to support them and without a political agreement that makes sure that it's not going to be manipulated and used by the government in ways that are just politically convenient for Henry, then we could be seeing a massive, massive debacle.
1: Really, there are two key requirements. One, that political agreement. The other, that this potentially Kenyan-led force is robustly supported by other countries with more technical expertise. If those conditions are met, you see potential for this force to be a good thing in helping to secure Haiti.
0: Yes. So, you know, it's interesting because we have daily conversations with people who are in the ground and people who are very close to the gangs themselves. And there is an expectation that if a force was to arrive, many of these gangs would not actually stand up and fight against them. That just the idea, the notion of a more competent police, which is very equipped and has better training arriving, would motivate a lot of these gangs to really lay off their arms and try and engage in a negotiation with the government. So we're hoping that at least just sending the indication of the force would encourage some of these people to stand down. You know, when you talk to many of the gang members, these are not people that are ideologically motivated. It's not that they're fighting a revolution. It's not that they particularly like this life. It's that a lot of people have no option but this to make a living, you know? And they know that the Haitian police, which are in many occasions their neighbors, are going to be unable to stop them. But just the sense of something more robust coming will probably make them just deceased. Others will not. Others will engage in confrontations. And there are pretty big gang leaders that are not the nicest of people and who will defend the power that they have gained. So it's going to be complicated. But honestly, just allowing the situation that exists on the ground right now to continue is really allowing the Haitians to fend for themselves with no state help and really condemned a lot of people to violence, death, and suffering in a way that really it's inhumane.
1: Well, Renata, thank you so much for your time and analysis. This was really helpful.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to Global Dispatches. Our show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg, and edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you have questions or comments, please email us using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Before you go, do take a moment to show your support for the show by becoming a premium subscriber. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do so with a couple taps of your thumb. If you're listening elsewhere, you can go to patreon.com slash globaldispatches. We rely on support from listeners to continue to do what we do far into the future. And by becoming a premium subscriber, you will unlock access to our entire archive of hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts.